This episode of the Second Floor Podcast is brought to you by Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our very first relationship episode where I'm very excited to bring on Nahid and Farah to represent, you know, not only what a really solid foundation of what a relationship should look and feel like, but also just open the conversation and dialogue to um, maybe certain things that our guests have experienced or have thought of and aren't exactly too sure um, how to handle. And, you know, my you could say intention with this episode is for everyone to just feel more at ease with uh, their partner or with any future partner that they choose to spend the rest of their life with uh, by two people who honestly, I just get so damn happy <laughs> when I see both of you on Instagram. You know, it's like one thing to look at couples on Instagram, but I think it's a whole other thing to like look and see and like go to your friends and go to yourself and be like, oh, you could tell they're in love. Like, you know, these two, they have it <laughs> Thank good. You. So, Thank you. So, yeah, no worries. I want to start with you, Nahid. If you can share, you know, just a little bit about um, what and how you would define love. Oh, well, that's a great question. You know, love um, for us has evolved over time. It's it's had this consistency, but it's, it's grown immensely um, with the birth of our children with the evolution of our ability to communicate, um, our love has grown and grown and grown. And I can honestly say at this point right now, it's it's so, um, it's just this amazing thing that keeps us tight knit. Um, and as a family unit, not just Far and I, um, but it's, it's a shared love. Um, yeah. I. Uh, it's a really hard definition because I feel it and when I'm near her I feel it and when I'm not near her I long for it and so it's like it's this connection and and it's um I don't know I don't know how to it's a it's a really great question it's it's almost like love is undefined it's unexplainable from yeah. how you're saying it yeah it is it's I mean you you like you said you can see it when we're together or when we talk and uh, even when we argue, it's like it's still it's like there. It's this <laughs> it's this thing, and uh, man, it just keeps growing. So it's like, <laughs> well, you know, Farah's really good with her words. So I'm wondering if <laughs> so if, much if more eloquent piggy- than I am. <laughs> yeah, are you able to piggyback off that, Farah? Like, if you were to define love through your experience, what does that look and feel like? I think I think Nahid's right. He we definitely the love that we shared when we first met and and got together was probably more infatuation, I think. We met when we were really young. Um, and I think, it, well, we, we say it's love at first sight, right? Um, we kind of locked eyes and um, had this instant connection. And we got married at 21 and 22. So, you know, we talk about this, we talk about this with our kids all the time that um, love is like a, it's like a shared, it's a shared thing, right? And everybody needs different things. Um, when they want to feel loved. And so as the years have progressed, we're heading up to what, 23? 23. 23 years yeah. on June 26th. Um, I think our love has evolved. And I think love is like a feeling. It's like when you feel like you're home, right? It's it's not a place. Um, it's like a feeling. And I think 
our love has definitely changed and grown. Um, we have weathered so many storms, insurmountable, you know, struggles and things that would normally break couples like illness, loss, um, <laughs> being completely broke, <laughs> you know, students, um, we have just managed to find and cultivate um, that feeling. Um, so it watered the roots of our love is what it did. All yeah. of those events, yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah. What's yeah. What's beautiful about what both you shared is clearly, you know, I can feel in this room and I'm sure people can listen. Well, what both of you just said is that the, the spark is there. It's a constant and it's, it's growing. It's, it's ever evolving. Mm-hmm. Right. And I almost want to say this where I'm guilty of this. And I had one of my best friend's wives tell me uh, this point blank and it really sort of makes sense for me and I feel like both of you can really relate is someone like me almost feels like I look at marriage and I look at like truly like falling in love and and at, at a time where it can all work is oh I need to be set you know I need you know I need my career to be in a place where I feel like it's going to be and, and then I can get my my life started with my significant other and, and both of you defy that odd you know, getting, <laughs> we did the opposite yeah, we yeah did getting, the opposite. getting together 2021 20, getting married and I'm still sure still going through the motions of life um, I just want to hear from your perspective of how both of you have managed to um, almost put love first and and reap and sow the benefits of it. Mm, Still being as successful as both of you truly are in your own respective endeavors and how you both have even come together in some capacity with your own projects. Mm -hmm. It's like how, based off both of you choosing love first, how has that worked in your favor um, financially, um, professionally, personally even? You know, because a lot of people say, oh, you're so young. Why are you getting married so young? You're still trying to figure yourself out. Mm -hmm. Like there's that classic uh, stigma, Mm -hmm. especially in the South Asian community. You know, and this is coming from someone who, you know, from a previous partner of mine, I got roked at 24. Oh. And roka, as both of you know, yeah, who yeah. don't know, it's like, it's a, you call it an engagement. Yeah. But like, I remember at that time, I was like, ah, like, yeah. I was like, like, I feel like I'm ready, but yeah. am I ready? Bak Bucky, it's like, hey, you're done. You're yeah. like, you're just set for life kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I was wondering, how has that benefited both of you? How have you managed to defy the odds to choose love first? I know it's a load. No, of we questions. can just we can do it collaboratively. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all good. Um, I think back to when, like our whole our whole story is just it's so opposite of of how we are, right? Like to, for us to get married at twenty one, I had just graduated with a, a bachelor's in education. I had an admission for a master's degree right out of undergrad, which is not a good idea, by the way. So don't. Just I'll talk you out of it. But grad school right after undergrad, um, I didn't have a job yet. Um, We moved to a different city, a different province. We did all of the things most people do like on their own, maybe, but we did it together. And and for being such forward thinking, independent, kind of liberal minded people, um, we kind of did like just our whole life is a series of ironic twists. Right. And so I think. By no means do I think is love enough um, because it's not enough. I think um, what like the ingredients um, that are, are were, were necessary for our situation was respect um, t- to truly listen and put each other first um, outside of love, just like as respect as as 
you know, for me as a, to, for him as a man and him for me as a woman. And to be honest with you, I came from a pretty traditional family. Um, but the one thing my dad told me was you, you must get educated, um, a minimum of one or two degrees, preferably two or more. Um, and you gotta, you gotta stand on your own two feet financially. And, and that's kind of, uh, my dad, um, was definitely a forward thinker for his time. Um, and like ingrained into me that education is your currency. And so for for me, um, he knew like we got married and he took on like we took on, not he, but we took on all of my student loans, right? We had not a lot of money uh, when we first got married. Um, but the, what we did have was respect. And so putting love first is important, but it's also listening to each other and understanding like where you want to grow. And, and to be honest, we grew into two totally different people. Um, but we grew into two, you know, we grew separately together. And so I think what's interesting is when we think about love or partnership um, or marriage, um, I think Western society, as much as we don't want to admit, even as Easterners, right, being raised with culture, um, we think in binaries, right? It's like all or nothing, independent or or locked in um and we were kind of both so i think from the beginning we we never did things most people did um when we got married most of our friends were going off to university in different provinces when we had our first child uh maya we i was 20 25 he was 26 and a half um none of our friends were married when we moved back to edmonton because we moved to toronto um, and, and stayed out there for a couple of years. Uh, we came back with a one-year-old. None of our friends were still married and no one wanted to hang out with us because we had a baby. Like but, a different yeah, episode. just like a totally different life, right? But we put, we put each other first. We put the respect we had for each other first. We took Maya everywhere we went. Um, so I think it's a series of like ironic contradictions um, and we didn't have anybody to look up to. We didn't have any role models other than our parents. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, but you know, honest to gosh, we we did an amazing job with our kids. Like we like our kids are amazing. Like our thirteen year old just had a birthday party that the older two kind of just took over and planned. Um, and they were hugging each other and thanking each other. And we were leaving the house and. They were laughing at stupid videos and we're yelling like clean the dishwasher and we we're like leaving the house. Like our kids are amazing. And and we didn't have any rule books. We didn't have anybody to look up to. So I think, um, yeah, a series of ironic twists and like this idea of not to think in binaries, right? Like I was still going to school and like pursuing a career and I don't know what. I didn't think I was going to be an anti-racist educator at 21, right? Or 19, um, but, but letting each other grow into the human being that we needed to be, to, to be happy. Right. And we weren't always happy. Um, you know, you're going to get the be real, like we look great on Instagram, I'm sure. But you know, the real life with three kids and 23 years of marriage is, it wasn't always easy. So yeah, I don't know. Love first for sure. But I think respect is a really big one. And if the other person isn't happy, um, I'm all about making sh- making sure that you yourself are happy first before you can be happy in your relationship. But I also think that like, again, like to, to avoid binary thinking and thinking that 
only I can be happy because I make myself happy, but he also makes me happy. And my happiness is very much dependent on him and vice versa. What do you think? You know, I'm going to rewind to um, a really interesting point, which was when we first met each other. And it was, it was like this, we locked eyes and it's a hard story to tell our kids because it's like a storybook. It's like we, we literally saw each other across the room. We locked eyes and, and it went from there, but we were really young. And what we knew is that we had this feeling for each other. There was an emotional attachment. And as we grew up, we grew up together. And that is a big defining factor in who we are because that framework of, of building a life together and every, as Farah said, that every roller coaster that happens in someone's life, a new job, a new city, and no friends. And that was us in the first year, within the first three months of marriage. One car. Yeah, one vehicle. I mean, in Toronto. And she's from St. Albert. Sharing a car with someone from experience, it's not easy. Yeah. yeah. And I had never taken public transportation before. Like, my dad would not allow me to go on a city bus. It was St. Albert, but whatever. I didn't know how to take public transportation. And so... There were all yeah. of these factors that... I mean, I grew up taking public transportation. I mean, we... I lived in the West End of Edmonton. I so we had to do that. But it was... It was like we learned... Um, everything together mm -hmm. and so if we fail we fail together and i think that was a big defining factor in creating that that framework for for who we are and what we are now and we've continued to fail together and the interesting part is that we're there for each other and so when one fails or falls the other one defines what that is and helps them get back up and i think in a lot of relationships you know maybe that doesn't happen and you know both of you made such beautiful points there because it's, it's an arguable topic about compromise mm -hmm. but i find that what both of you have done is you didn't necessarily compromise you both made uh, instead necessary adjustments mm -hmm. because you know farah you brought up a great point about how both of you have grown separately together and i found that yes love ultimately does come down to respect because when you think about what you value farah and i'm sure nahid does too is you know education that's something your own parents have said mm -hmm. and have instilled mm -hmm. right and you know especially through you nahid from what i know from you know looking online is you had a lot of education from your own grandmother you know teaching you about a morning routine and then you know your own family teaching you about accounting and just showing you certain skills of life that you're going to take with you forever mm -hmm. and then when both of you have met together at yeah let's argue a very young age still trying to figure out life those intangibles seem very much so like listen no matter what happens and no matter how chaotic our life is i understand that you have to be in school for for let's say the next 10 years yeah you know and i understand that if this is what you need to do we'll make it work instead of and this happens in some relationships where maybe marriage comes about maybe nahid gets a certain amount of success or makes a certain amount of money and goes hey so what's the point why don't you just stay home and just take care of the kids and you don't need to worry about the vacation mm -hmm. and I, not not saying that this happened or didn't but this is, would be the norm of other couples mm -hmm. and i find that it's very beautiful what both of you shared is it was like in a way it's, it was all calculated chaos calculated right? chaos exactly and it's like okay we understand we're in this tornado Right. We're, we're never necessarily in this feeling of being settled. And it, it reminds me of even my mom and my parents were for a very, very long time, even as we were younger, 
you know, we didn't get to fortunately be able to have a studio room where we could do our podcasts and side ventures in and a home gym. You know, we lived at a time where we had no furniture, but both my parents understood They're like, this is what we have to put our time into. And it sounds like both of you very much so like at least had that mutual understanding with one another. For sure. I think that the tough thing, and again, raising three girls, right? Um, so when we first got together, I was actually studying for a law school admissions test. I'd taken the Kaplan prep courses. It was set to write my LSAT exam. He had just come home from a trip um, to Ontario. He was exploring business ventures there and being a young, hotshot, 21-year-old with a very large ego. And he will he will admit that. He was 23. Yeah. <laughs> you were 23 at that age. We had sure, him tw- married. Yeah, 22. 20, 20, yeah. 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 You know, he came home and he was just like, we're going to move to Toronto. And I was like, mm. so we had already gotten engaged. Right. Um, and in the Muslim community, especially my dad's community, we had to get engaged to kind of like be legit. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even then, like there was problems. But so when he came home and he's like, you know, I'm going to move, we're going to move to Toronto. Uh, my first thought was, mm, I'm writing my LSAT tomorrow. And he kind of totally threw me under the bus totally screwed with my headspace the day before the exam exam, all i could think about like well that wasn't my plan right like that wasn't my plan and i'm a virgo man like you 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 have plan a b c and z like and everything in between and he just went into like you know a one like and i didn't even have that plan so i totally screwed up my exam i was like devastated i canceled my score that afternoon uh, of the exam and and I was like holy shit what am I going to do um so that I think that's how our marriage started so already there's feelings there right um but I think the point I'm trying to make is um you know when you, when you have these ideas around compromise so wh- when I when we moved to Toronto so I ended up uh, applying to York University um, the the master's in education because like I don't know what the hell I want to do I might as well just keep going to school right I'll get a job as a teacher and I'll just go to school so not a bad gig right um, I got in and so I had a plan and so when we moved there I was like okay so I didn't feel like I was like settling I was making the best of my situation I think that's what we've done like all along and I think he realized those first couple of years in Ontario um and when we had Maya and we we you know lost money in the business I was kind of like at the height of this amazing opportunity in my career I had just finished a master's degree in equity education no one was talking about equity education in the early 2000s um you know Maya was one I had a dream job with an amazing board. You know, I was going to do some like really amazing anti-racism work there. He came to me one day and he's like, we have to sell the businesses. And I was like, but I love my job. And he's like, we have to move back to Alberta. So that was blow number two. Mm. My mom had just moved out to Ontario. Um, It's just three years. Three years within three years. Yeah. 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 My mom had just moved out to Ontario after retiring with her school board after facing considerable amount of racism um and she was hired um so my mom her dream was to become an administrator um and she kept getting passed up for jobs 
ironically, in St. Albert. No big surprise. It's because she was brown. She was the only woman in her board at the time who even had a graduate degree in educational leadership. So, you know, I said to my mom, you got to come out here and and you got to come try here. And she had moved. She had retired. And my mom was like living with us at the time until she found, actually, she had found her own apartment at the time. Um, And so I had to tell my mom, who's like coming out here to make her life, we're moving back to Edmonton, mom, and you're going to be here alone. My dad was just finishing out his full retirement um, from Nate and he was going to move and join my mom. They were building a house. But like my whole idea of like raising our kids with grandparents that were close by, his parents were always coming back and forth for the business. You put a lot of energy towards that. And I was like 25 at the time. And it, it like I was so young and I just that was my whole world was my parents. Right. So even move away from my parents to go to Toronto and now I'm going to be away from my parents again. It was just like blow after blow after blow. But what did I do? I instead of thinking like I'm settling or, you know, I just made the best of it. So we moved back to Edmonton. Um, you know, I, I actually ended up getting a job at my old junior high after about a year and I was a teacher in a junior high. Um, and then I was like, you know what? I'm bored. I need, I need to go back to school again. So I actually applied to do my PhD and I got in. Very, very young, very pregnant with our second daughter at that time. And he was actually acquiring a new business and another restaurant. And so when I got in for my PhD, he came home like two or three days later. He's like, so we're gonna buy another business. I was like, Man, he's just out here dropping. Yeah, just like throwing, <laughs> throwing the cards, right? I was like, this isn't the awesome. story you expected to hear, is it? <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, like, this is yeah. the be real, man. Yeah, this is the be real. So, you know, I'm trying to. I'm like, okay, so I have a full time job. I have um, a four year old and an infant, and I'm going to be a full time grad student. This is awesome, and you're going to be busy building this new business. So. We figured it out, right? We mental resilience at that time, I can't imagine. And I was 28 years old, I will say. 28 years old with two kids. I went back to school and Sophia, my middle one, was six months old. I brought her with me, nursed her in the bathroom, put her in a little baby carrier. And I had like all the people saying, like all the people who were like my age now, mid 40s, like, oh my gosh, she's so young. Like, who's going to look after your baby? Like all the things that you would never say to a man, right? I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Watch me. I'm going to do it, actually. And I'm going to bring her to all my classes. And but what did he do Uh, when I had to start teaching in grad school? Sophia was probably one by then. And I said, listen, if I'm going to leave my kids with anybody, it's going to be you. So my class starts at five. You need to be home at you need to pick up Maya from Montessori and you need to be home at four o'clock. And so I would actually we would often exchange kids at um the university so i would say if he couldn't yeah yeah, if he couldn't make it for pickup i would go pick up maya and i'd have the baby and he would meet me on campus and he would pick up the two kids and he would take them home and then i would go to school with my head totally chill because i know my husband's looking after the kids but he was a full-time businessman that didn't necessarily go over well um with his business partners he's he's like sorry man i gotta go home and take care of my kids And again, I must have been 29 or 30 at the time. You were 32. New business. You know what it's like to build, right? So to your point, we were in the building phase, but we always made it work. 
So whether it was me sacrificing what I thought I was going to do, I wouldn't even really use the word sacrifice. I made it work and I made it my own. And it wasn't on his terms. It was on my terms. And he did the same. He'd, he'd have to manage knowing that I had to kind of compromise. Um, so he compromised too. And I think, I think with, to my original point, when we talk to Maya, our oldest, about relationships, it's got to be mutually beneficial, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have spent so much time investing in our kids to be strong, independent women. Um, but when you love someone, you know, your happiness, your, your resilience, your courage, your accomplishments are also theirs too. And so again, avoiding these, this binary thinking that you can't be an independent, successful woman, um, and you have to be by yourself and you have to do it alone. Right. I will fully say like, I only finished grad school because of him, like Second month in, you know, Sophia's eight months old and I took him out for dinner and I, I sat him down, I'll never forget. And he knew why we were, we were out for dinner. And I said to him, by the time we got to dessert, I'm like, so I don't think grad school's like, I'm not cut out for grad school. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, so we have two girls. Are, what are you going to tell them you quit? Are you going to tell them you quit grad school? Because I know you don't quit anything. I was like, you're an asshole. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to quit. He's like, okay, so what do you need? Like, do you need help with, you know, help cleaning? Do you need help with pickup? Like, what do you need? I'll, we'll make it work. We were poor, 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 but we somehow made it work, right? So it's knowing enough, um, like, we need to give some things up too, right? So, and, and that's not sacrifice. Um, if you, if you love the person, right? So it's not settling. I think a lot of people think that in order to grow and succeed and hustle and achieve, like I finished, I finished my third degree at the age of 32 with three children. And I would not have been able to do that by myself. And I'm okay to say that. And I, and I have to say that because I'm lying to myself if I think that I did that all by myself. A lot of it was me, but a lot of it was also him, right? And and you need someone to be able like I got to give him credit and he has to give me credit. So we yeah. we unlocked each other's potential. Yes. Yeah. So if you can find a, a key defining yeah. word and we didn't really understand what that meant. You know, we both you know a lot of the situations that Farah described in in the early days were not me thinking about us or our relationship was kind of like oh man this is we got to go into damage control right now because this restaurant is is like a tire fire like we need to get out (laughs) we need to get out and how do we do that and i wasn't thinking about you know thank goodness we had restaurants here in alberta and that's why we had to move back because it was like i don't know where to go if we're in toronto like i don't know what to do because we're so in debt and uh and it was it was a really tough decision but Farah was there to like walk through that decision and go i understand like i understand we have to go i understand there isn't anything for you here but the tough part was like now you know at that time and even now i had to live with the fact that she was getting to a unlock this potential and I was like locking it back up right Mm -hmm. and moving back to Alberta and so when you think about that give and take 
and how we talk about that it was like how now we get to alberta like how do how do i unlock that again because now i'm the one that closed the door on that this episode of the second floor podcast is brought to you by the edmonton community foundation the foundation acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create a strong vibrant community for generations to come you can start an endowment fund with yourself or with a group once it reaches ten thousand dollars it can start distributing funds. Vital Signs is an annual checkup conducted by Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with Edmonton Social Planning Council to measure how the community is doing. This year's focus is on making ends meet in Edmonton. Learn more at ecfoundation.org. Yeah, when both of you are, are, are sharing this, this moment, you know, a few things come to mind and I feel like we can really... Um, you know, go, go, go in more layers to the situation because this is a situation that happens to many people that I find is going to perhaps define hugely what the next chapter of one's life will look like down to where are we going to be living? How are we going to be making a living? How the way that looks down to how do we put food on the table? How do we support our family? Right. And it sounded like at the time, Nahid, for you, it was like, we need to do this. Right. And even Farah, you realize like, okay, Let's, let's weigh out the pros and cons. It needs to be done, you know, given the potential, you could say, um, uh, disbelief other family members may have towards it or, or, or already have some level of time, money or energy invested in a, in, in a move. And it's a tough situation because both of you coming from what it seems really respecting each other's families, it's very tough to satisfy everybody. So you almost have to just look at your significant other and look in the mirror and be like, we have to satisfy ourselves first before we could even think about everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really cold, hard truth to um, a lot of what wasn't said in this situation. And and, I, and before we get into that, I more so want to go to Nahid's perspective where, you know, what was going on through your head and and when, when you were ready to tell Farah that we had to move back or when you had to expand the business. Like those were, of course, I, I've been there myself where it's like, you're almost so scared to tell someone something that you have to do something because it's almost at the risk of possibly losing them. Um, I don't know if you were thinking that, but why don't you just guide us through like what was going on in your head in preparation of telling Farah this? I don't think at that point um, I thought I would lose Farah. I didn't think that we were going, this was going to be, although it is a defining factor for relationships, I wasn't thinking like that. I was like, we're going to get through this together. We're going to work through it. And she's going to help me figure out how to navigate this scenario. And that alone just says how healthy the relationship is. Yeah. And it, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a terrible situation because if you go back, I was the one who asked us to move. Right. And so here, I think this is going to be a defining factor for our family, for our relationship, for uh, our growth. And it was none of that. It was like the opposite. So again, we said uh, new place, new job. And like, a, like we didn't have any friends. And then three years later, I'm like, Hey, we got to pack it up and go back again. And that is also a, you know, at, the, at that age, you have an ego mm-hmm. and you have an ego with other people around you. But you still, I still had an ego with my, my spouse. I had an ego with Farah. And she was like, you can't, you need to like wake up. This is the reality of where we are. This is who you are. And I, I remember us coming back and it was, um, I mean, I, was, I won't use the word sulking, but I felt like I was embarrassed. Mm-hmm. And I felt like an imposter. 
And I felt like an imposter to my wife and I felt like an imposter to my six month old. And I felt like an imposter to my parents who I was in business with. And it was, and, and Farah like literally walked me out of that. She was like, no, you're good at what you do. These are the scenarios that, that came in and these are the curveballs we had to face and how, you know, we had to make a decision like that. So we, we agreed to that decision together. It was a terrible decision. Um, the growth was, you know, rebuilding again when um, we had the opportunity to do so. Farah's always acknowledged, she's just like, you are through and through an entrepreneur. You, 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 I know that about you. And I know through and through, she is, she loves education. She loves to learn. Like that will be Farah forever. And she is such an intelligent human being and it helps me. It's made me better because all of those things that she's done, every time she went to school, we'd sit and it wasn't until later on when she was getting into her PhD that I really sat and like got to digest her knowledge and the things that I could learn from her. So it's like this amazing transition. And I think all of those things were meant to happen, even though they happened in a bad sequence, it ended up taking us here today and bring us to this point. That's beautiful. Because both of you so clearly know one another's, um, I don't even want to just call it strengths, but gifts, right? Like like the gift to educate and to love doing so and to want to give that to everyone, Farah. And then for you with your entrepreneurial drive, Nahid, like that's, Two things that both of you so clearly based off the decisions both you needed to make that included one another's livelihood were clear on uh it's almost like just having that person that just no matter how uh, muddy it looks right now you just know that the, the other person who's with it in you has some sort of special power that you don't that's going to help you get out of it well i think you bring up a really good point and i think this is kind of the flip side of what nahid was sharing so you know, I wouldn't call myself a business person. I've, I've tried, you know, I've tried to animate my life with different um, things outside of education, like the, the traditional sense of education, but still through teaching. I love um, teaching fitness and, you know, tried my hand at different kinds of ventures that way. Um, and I have also learned from his business savvy, like every everything this kid touches, you know, turns to gold. So uh, we have the, again, the respect for one another where I will ask him, right? Or he just kind of advises and will share things with me or or will always kind of, um, like you said, three steps ahead. Like everything that has ever happened, he's called it, right? Whether I listen to him or not, he's called it. Um, you know, I opened up one of the first spin boutiques in Edmonton in, in 2015, 2016, he fucking knew like he knew he's like this is not gonna work uh you want this so bad but your your personality and what you know and the kind of person you are you do not mesh well with these business folks and and these three dudes were 10 years younger than me super egomaniacs super sexist he's like this is not gonna work this is not your people this is not your people but i i wanted it so bad I wanted, I love spin. I wanted to be one of the first, totally working from ego, right? And first two months in, I was miserable, miserable. It took off and it was, it's incredible. It was incredible. 
But when I had to walk away, I like I was losing my hair. I was losing weight. I like my stomach, like I had, you know, stomach issues. Um, my, my gums were bleeding. I was so busy. Uh, like I think I, I got into a minor car accident. Like it just was not a healthy business. Yeah. We had to make a, a meeting and, and he, so he kind of, um, you know, he's kind of been like my protector. He'll let me make my mistakes. And that's good. I'm glad you brought that up because the only thing I brought, could have come to mind right away, Farah, was like how how much time. Oh yeah, did the he heat knew. Wait? He knew, but but he stepped in when like I couldn't see it. Right, um, I wasn't sleeping. Um, you know, a cousin of mine who she's like my sister. She lives in Georgia. One day she phoned me, and I used to like I was so busy multitasking and and. Might I add, I was still teaching almost full-time at the University of Alberta. So I had like a full-time, almost full-time job, you know, as a as a uh, instructor, prof, but I was also running this business. That's nice. Um, and we had kids. And we had kids. Three kids. We had three kids. Yeah. So that he, he, yeah. Let, he let me figure it out, though. And it wasn't until we hit this breaking point um, and he's like, we need to sit down. I've worked this all out and we you need to get out. Like, this is not, this is not going to go, like, this is not going to go well if we don't. So he he let me figure it out. And just like he hit his breaking point, I hit my breaking point. I walked away from something I loved, but I loved it so much it was literally killing me. Um, it was not good for me emotionally or mentally. Uh, it was so toxic. And he kind of, it's like, it's like he had that lifeline. Like, he would have just yanked me back if I would have taken two steps too, too far. Um and likewise with him, you know, he has this insatiable desire to build and build and build. And the, the problem with that is that he's so good at it and he's always successful. And so, you know, we're kind of like this perfect balancing act, right? Yes. Like I'll always, you know, he loves to be accessible. He loves to be there for his people. He loves to be the person that, you know, will help his his people, the people who are helping him run the show, uh, he loves to be there for them. Um, but when it's time for dinner, your phone, like we got to put away the phones, right? We got to show to our kids that we are mentally present. And for all those folks who, who are thinking about having kids or have young kids, it, it only gets harder. Like as they age, it's not about the physical staying up with them and, and feeding them and waking up with them and changing them and like being like physical man on man. It's like the connection, when they come home, they talk to you and they need advice or they're sad or you need to check in with their mental health, you know? Um, so it's a constant, we we play off each other's strengths. Um, you know, I can see when he's, you know, making, having conversations with people, you know, same thing. I'll let him go through the motions and like he was just having a conversation this morning or yesterday morning and I was upstairs doing my hair and... Um, he was on the phone for 45 minutes and I came and he got off the phone. I came down. I'm like, you literally had the same conversation with four different people. I'm like, how frustrating was that? Yeah, that was He's boring. like, it was so frustrating. And then we just had, we had a great conversation. But sometimes when you're with someone who, who knows you so well, but also has nothing, I, I know nothing about, you know, certain aspects of his business. You, you can really get an interesting perspective an outside the box perspective. Yeah. There's been so many situations where in his business, I'll offer an outside the box perspective and, and he comes home and he's like, you were totally right. So again, it's 
you know, I think we're, we both have big personalities. We both have very, very, um, you know, big dreams and hopes. And, um, but it's all about also kind of like balancing each other out. Right. And he will call me out on my shit like that. And I can also call him out on a shit just like that. And it's like, at the end of the day, like we just, we elevate each other. So it's, it's, it can't be a competition with your spouse. Right. And there are times where he has the spotlight and we all kind of sit back and, and elevate him on his podium. And then there are times where I have the spotlight and he'll sit back and he'll elevate me on my podium. But we're always trying to bring each other along for the ride. And it's under the same spotlight, yeah. not competing for it. Right. Totally. And I love how you just mentioned that it's it's knowing when who needs it, who deserves it. You know, that that fresh outside perspective and being willing to hear it. Yeah. Right. I mean, it can be so toxic in some relationships where right? I'm sure you can imagine where it's like, oh, why are you trying to give me advice? You, you're not an entrepreneur. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know what's happening. Yeah. Or oh no, I'm the educator, not you. Let me handle yeah. this. But it's like, oh, let's let's hear it. I actually generally want yeah. to. And it could surprise both of you. And, and they could almost be like, oh, I didn't look at it like that. And yeah. I'm so happy it's the latter in that case because I find such driven, successful people, such as both of you in your own respective endeavors, it's almost like you don't see this every day. Right. Or you don't at least get to hear about it because, you know, people are very private. You know, they're very private about that. They don't want to share because it obviously comes with literally what both of you have shared some crazy roller coasters. And that that can that can affect ego that can affect, you know, um, how decisions are made. Um, I want to pivot to a topic because we will get into parenting. I'm very excited to talk about that. That might even be a whole other episode. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about like space mm-hmm. and, and, and how much both of you um, respect one another's, you could say, personal life outside of both of each other sharing a life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that has to do with time for friends, time for just yourself as a person, um, time for one another's families. Um, how do both of you view that and make that work if it exists outside of everything else going on? Our family dynamic is a family dynamic. We do everything together. So, you know, do we have friends? Yes. Do we meet with friends outside of each other? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and we respect that, but like, she's my best friend. Like she's the person that really like, honestly, I mean, I, I, She's the person I confide in. She's the person I talk to. And I have friends that I talk to about business ventures or that I talk to about, um, you know, their kids or my kids or, but it, it's so different when we're having that conversation. But again, you know, Far and I grew up with the love you talked about, but we grew up becoming best friends because of all the things we went through mm-hmm. and because we're so young. We went through the, in, all these roller coasters together. And um, it's been, yeah, like I just, I actually love spending time with her. I mean, we we are always looking to spend more time together. And during COVID, it was like, it was like a dream come true. We're always together. We're like taking walks together. We're having breakfast together, having lunch together. I mean, we're working in between, but it was like a lot of fun. It kind of sucks that she's back at the university teaching yeah. a class. So um I'm glad you said that. (laughs) You know why? I just want to quickly add, because I I got that from my mother. Because my mother and I, it was like two or three weeks into COVID. And she's like, Kenny, (laughs) this is when we're like really used to just spending all this time with one another. But she she worded it. She's like, just no part of that. You know, this this isn't forever, right? Like COVID's going to end one day. And maybe you're sick of me already, but this is nice. (laughs) 
because <laughs> she got to see me every day. We had the whole day, and she's like, when we were so busy, she's like, in our lives, well, we get to see each other for 30 minutes, one hour a day, maybe. Yeah. She's like, finally, it feels like both of you are just like little kids again. So she's like, anyway, it's nice. Go ahead, go back to your phone. <laughs> I was like, no, mom, that's really cute that you said that. But we told our kids the same thing. We had all three kids at home, and it was like, it was like we we're all learning from each other. We're spending time with each yeah. other. It Can't was. Take it for it it helps that we all have the same stupid sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, kept each other entertained. Yeah, yeah right? we, we have a lot of fun together. Um, but no, we you know we take the time when we need it. We take the time for ourselves as individuals, um, and whether that's going for a run and listening to a podcast, or going for a walk on our own, or taking the dogs out for a walk, or as individuals, or going and working out in the basement, or you know getting on the treadmill. So we do our own things, but <clears throat> we start our day together and we end our day together. Mm-hmm. And so what's in between? Non-negotiables. Yeah. Our, you know, and we have individual time with the kids too. So when I was coaching soccer for a number of years, that was my time with each individual child. I was purposefully taking the time to be their coach. So we'd drive there together and talk and we'd decompress on the way home and talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's pick up and drop offs. And so, so we think... You know, we, we spend time together, we spend time with other people, but yeah, I think, I think what's interesting is that, um, again, because we got together young, um, we, we our our circle of friends have shifted and changed over the years. Um, and we do, we spelled, we spend a healthy amount of time together, um, as a couple, as a family and it's healthy so that when we're not spending time together, we, we don't feel insecure about it. Right. Um, and I think an interesting dynamic that we see often is that, you know, um, people will, and, and everybody's different, right? I, I grew up in a household full of people. I was a middle child. I, I And I spend a lot of time alone, um, you know, working from home and those kinds of things. So it's, I don't believe that you can have balance, but when you have like a healthy amount, sometimes you have too much of one thing and too little of another. Um, we're, we're so in sync that we're able to kind of figure it out. Like today, for example, um, you know, we're kind of like snippy with each other and kind of like the, the, the energy was a bit off. Right. And so we just kind of did our own thing and, and it's important to be able to read that and, and just kind of like unplug and, and yeah. go and do your own thing and then come back together. Like we're about to go on a podcast together today talk about... <laughs> well, this is, this is bringing it all back together. <laughs> yeah. It's really it good. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just think that when you, when, you have, when you have so much trust and respect for the other person, um, like... If like he does his car shit and you know does like he likes to spends freaking three hours. Wait, car shit? Yeah, he <laughs> loves to spend three hours, um, like either right during dinner or when like nothing's cooked or we need to go get something from the grocery store. He'll he'll be like in the middle of this three hour fiasco with his car. So his car is like you know his his. Well, I'm washing the cars. It's like a multi step <laughs> so thing. I'm giving. Yeah, it's like a multi multi step thing, right? But like it's it's fine. We respect that. And and to be fair, we have two dogs that are girls. We have three girls. There's a lot of female energy in our yeah. house. So he's one man. Yeah, he's happy to go and do his you know whatever he does. So it's just knowing when the other person just needs to like get out um, and just do. Yes. 
hey, you know what? It isn't ours too. It's never a dull moment, yeah. right? Yeah. That's awesome. No, I, I appreciate both of you sharing that. And I find, uh, you know, it, it, it's really unique to hear how both of you, like, clearly genuinely like to spend time with one another it's like why would you not want to with the person that you choose to spend the rest of your life with you know and i feel like that's what truthfully like a lot of people now are recognizing and are a lot more aware of who they choose to spend their life with it's um like for someone like me it's funny i grew up watching Bollywood all my life and I used to and to this day I'm like you know I, I always wish what both you have like people just look and you know the songs will come in my yeah. head and, you know and I'm, I'm like that token lover boy where it's yeah. like you know we, we still can live through both of you and realize that it can happen to people like there is true love out there instead of I find a lot of people nowadays they get older and they start feeling like they have to settle and I I, I I disagree with that. I find that very unfortunate. Mm-hmm. You know, where parents might start getting involved in the South Asian community, they'll be like, oh, you know, you're 30 now. You let us look for you. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we'll do, we'll do what worked for us. And it's like, well, everyone has their own timeline. And like when you put less pressure on it, it can be what it is, yeah. you know, organic love story instead of something that's forced. Yeah. And I find that whenever you force anything, it, it's, it's chaos. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's uncalculated chaos at that point. Yeah. Right? And, you know, I want to transition that into sharing, I think, in reverse, um, what you may have noticed your kids have taught you about love mm-hmm. and how that has shaped you both to be stronger, more, you could say, uh, present parents, but parents at the same time. You know, as well as being uh, more loving towards one another, um, I find that you know, as a as someone like myself who saw my parents grow up and you know see struggle, see things that work, see things that don't work, I caught myself wanting to get involved. And I know some parents are different; they either choose to, oh no, no, no worries, nothing is wrong, and some are like, yeah, you know what, everything's wrong, and they'll, they'll either include their parent, their kids to some capacity or not. And I'm just wondering, like, if there's anything growing up that was significant or anything recently that any one of your daughters have like really taught both of you a lesson on love. You wanna? You go. We have open relationships with our kids, so when we are in disagreement they're aware we're in disagreement um and they they're frank with us they'll call us both out on which one is <laughs> the problem in this scenario um so the relationship we have with our kids is we we're very transparent about the reality of a relationship the reality of a marriage the reality of being a parent the reality of being a brother the reality of being a son or a daughter we talk about all of it appropriately so yeah yeah yeah. but but we are uh we're open and honest and i think that um that's not a common thing and and for us so so we listen to each other and we learn from each other now we may not agree with everything our kids say because you know sometimes you're like but you're not seeing this part of the scenario or maybe i haven't explained the whole scenario to you and this is what it looks like Uh, but we are you know we're constantly working together to make each other better Mm -hmm. and we and we have that relationship in our family that that's the ultimate goal is for all of us to work to make each other better Mm -hmm. i think too like with the girls um like we're 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 modeling what their standard will be for, for when they you know decide if they do um to find romantic love in another partner and i think it was funny 
um, as our kids kind of grew up and, um, you know, we would be out with our kids and people would ask questions all the time. Like, oh, like, was that, did you guys have like an arranged marriage? Is that why you're so young? Like how old are you? Like, and especially now with Maya being 20 and we're in our mid forties, people are like, so how old were you when you had kids? Like, that's weird, you know? Um, but in our culture, that's kind of like, or maybe not anymore, but it was pretty normal to have like an arranged marriage at like 19 years old and then have your children and you're set for life. Mm -hmm. We chose each other. We fell in love. You know, it's like very, it's very opposite to what usually happens or what, what usually happened. And so again, a series of ironies, um, but we are modeling to our children and, and I remind him all the time, like my role as a mother is important, but your role as a dad is even more important because you're you're normalizing what they're gonna look for. And so, you know, we had a very, um, you know, stressful situation with a family member recently um, that, that kind of has been worrying me since Maya was little, right? That like, you know, she's gonna grow up and see this and think it's like, this is okay. Um, and we kind of put it off and put it off. And I was like, I'd always be the better person, turn the other cheek, be non-confrontational, be respectful. Um, until one day Maya must've been like nine or 10. And she's like, mom, this person doesn't like you very much, do they? And I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> you can see that, can you? Mm -hmm. And we had, I kind of went to him and I'm like, mm, we need to, we need to deal with this. Right. And then it's well, it, 10 years later, it kind of, we had to finally deal with the situation and draw some boundaries with this family member and kind of, you know, s s just say like, this is no longer acceptable behavior. And it was actually a conversation with our kids, all three kids, 13, 16, and 20, um, that said, you know, um, they were kind of teaching us about like their perspective on the situation. Cause when you're family, you tolerate a lot because you're family. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say being second generation and they are the third generation, uh, they still have very strong cultural values, but it was actually our oldest who said cultural values should not be um, excuses for um, behavior that should not be tolerated. You can't hide behind culture. Uh, yeah. No culture you know, condones this kind of behavior. And so we were like, oh, Absolutely. wow. So having our kids, um, their children are like mirrors, right? So they, they mirror back to you what they see. And so- The actions, right? Brene Brown talks Yeah, yeah. Actually, she, my oldest daughter listened to Atlas of the Heart and she's like, mom, you need to listen to this book and then make dad listen to it too. <laughs> um, you know, it's fascinating. Having kids has definitely reversed aged us, I think. We've become- um, yeah, just like, I feel like, um, it's just, it's done wonders for our relationship, just listening and, and talking and communicating with our kids. And I think what they've taught us about love specifically is that, uh, it has to be reciprocal, right. And, and reciprocity, uh, is giving more than you receive, but also not settling for, like the bare minimum. And so that was a big, big lesson, I, I would say, just recently in the last like two or three months. Um, but our kids have to taught us so many things about love. Um, I, I mean, that's another podcast for another that's time. beautiful. But, yeah. No, I love that. And thank you for sharing because, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, when you talk about generations, it's like 
this is more common in my parents' generation where I was like, okay, you have to marry because society approves it. Okay, now you have to have kids because society will approve it. Okay, now you have to do this, have to do that. And it's it's unique that you both did all the things you had to do, but did it willingly. Yeah. You know, and then and then like raised a family willingly while still trying to build everything else. And I find that that willingness needs to be there on both ends, because if you're just doing something because you have to do it, I think we see it <laughs> in the workplace when you kind of look at someone and be like, do you want to be here? Because, yeah. you know, you're, <laughs> you're not you're not showing you want to be here. So you're just kind of wasting your time and everybody else's. But then even from like the structure of a family and a household and love and like parents that are, you know, learning more about how to love one another to their kids. Like that is, there's so much willingness there. And I, I love how you just shared all that, that you could learn such pieces from your kids because they give you such a different perspective because they're not like when they can almost see what you feel without knowing the extent of, uh, you could say, certain things that you felt and seen and heard that they didn't then it's like it becomes a yeah. reality check there's right? no faking it with kids right like it, or when you have like older kids um they see everything as much as we think that they don't see it they see it and then um that's where you kind of have to negotiate like okay are we, are we going to continue on this path or are we going to like really kind of talk about what's going on it's interesting because um we joke in our family, our girls say, you know, don't worry, we're not going to make the same mistakes you guys did and get married at like 21 and 22. Like, we're, we're good, right? Um, but yeah, it's interesting. 20, right? Yeah. But, you know, it's so funny because we go on walks with with all of them and, and um, the girls are like, wow, you guys, we left them. We left them home alone. We went to L.A. as another secret, like, make sure you like take time for yourself. So pre-COVID, we would try and go away every couple months, just the two of us. And my parents were amazing. They looked after the girls, but now the girls are old enough to stay on their own. Um, and the last two times we went, and we've only left them like once or twice since COVID, like just by themselves. So my mom's always like arm's length away, right? Like Nani will be there to, you know, cook and feed you guys. But, you know, they, Maya had to drive them and drop them off, pick them up, manage like extracurricular and every single time we've gone away and come back, she's like, man, you guys do a lot for us. You know, even the youngest this one uh, said, uh, th- this time said, mom, and she's 13, you do a lot for me in the morning. You don't realize it. Yeah, she's you like, you do play. a lot for me in the morning and I know I give you a hard time. Like, that is the best to hear your 13 year old like give you props for like, you know, and she's like, you're just cool, mom, thank you, <laughs> you know? So I, th- I think that's so important um, for kids to feel responsibility. But also, you know, we go back to my story, we go on walks and um, the girls will tell us like, every time we, you know, you guys go away, we realize like, how did you have a kid at 24 or go to grad school and have a, and two kids at 28? How did you have three kids and go to grad school again, like willingly (laughs) on purpose? Like we can't even study with nobody home. And you you had to study and like look after us and put us to bed and feed us and like, you know, make dinner and like, you know, and, and they would say to him, like, you know, how did you how did you do what you did with like all of these people who depend on you? And so I tell them all the time, this is the time in your life. Enjoy your life because you have no responsibilities other than to clean your freaking room, (laughs) empty the dishwasher, and maybe sometimes pick up your sisters from school and walk the dogs, 
right? That's it. Like that's all you have to do. So it's a good checkpoint for them, right? Because, you know, I would say we're all pretty privileged. We grew up pretty privileged. My kids are pretty privileged. And so just to have those um, checkpoints like of like, you want to, you want to see what adulting's like? Enjoy your weekend, you know, (laughs) like, let's see how that goes. Right. Um, So it's, it's an important conversation. And I think it also puts into perspective how hard it was, even though, again, we were super privileged, um, how much effort it takes to just keep building, right? And to do something with your life that's that you have something to show for um, is, is a pretty awesome um, thing for your kids. That's an education in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we set the bar pretty high, but my parents set the bar high for me, his parents set the bar high for him. And so that's the goal is like with every generation, it's that intergenerational legacy, right? Like I am happy when my kids are successful. I'm sure your parents said the same thing to you. Mm-hmm. Our parents said the same thing to us. They're our biggest fan. You should see my dad's Facebook. It's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's I like love it. Every post is just about being my brother. I it's love adorable. it. I love it. I love it. No, that's awesome. I, I want to ask Nahid this is, um, would you say your parents are like the best example you've seen of, um, what a, what a good, healthy, strong relationship looks like? Or would you have anyone else in mind that exemplifies that? Because, uh, you know, for me, I being the, you know, token lover boy that I am and wanting to have something special like what both of you have is I think about my really good friend, Raj, you know, and he's he's the, you know, co-founder of Pivotal Physio. And he's someone who, you know, over the years for me has been outside of just a mentor and a brother and a best friend, he's someone who the way his life is, you know, how he makes time for his wife, he makes time for his kids, but he makes time for his business. Like being able to see that within arm's reach, you know, he's someone who lives in my neighborhood and we're very close. It allows me to kind of like have an example to look forward to, to realize that, okay, within arm's reach, this is possible. You know, even through both of you, I realize, okay, it's even that much more possible. But uh, did you have anyone in your life, uh, Nahid, or, or, or still have, where you've kind of, you've taken that example and extracted it into your own life? Yeah, you know what, it's a, that's a great question. My, my parents uh, have an amazing relationship and they, and they did. I mean, they immigrated to Canada, they struggled together. They brought my grandmother and my grandfather here. They raised us at the same time having businesses and working multiple jobs, but every day they were home for dinner. And then after dinner, they'd go back to doing what they had to do. And so, there, and they drop us to school and they'd make sure my grandmother would pick us up. And so there was like this big family unit together uh, growing up and my parents took their own trips. And so I remember thinking like, man, this is, this is not cool. Like mom and dad are going away to Vancouver or they're going here or they're going there. Um, but what's interesting is they took the time for their relationship to keep it intact. And then we would do massive family trips. Um, and we would do trips with, uh, cousins as well every year. So there'd be like, you know, these three different trips that would go on. And so I think, you know, looking back at that, their relationship was held strong by, um, them taking the time out for each other, them taking the time out on a daily basis to check in with us as kids and them taking the time out to show us that, you know, the grandparents are important and taking the time to show that family's important. And so we would all spend this time together. Um, and my, my parents did a very good job of that. And so, you know, when I look back at, um, 
what I understood a relationship to be. And we're, you know, when we got married, we, we literally moved from our parents' houses into a place with each other. Like we didn't live on our own before. So we didn't, there was like no boundaries. There's no, like, we didn't know. My mom was like, yeah, good luck with the laundry with this guy, right? Like, I think that was the first comment she made to Far. She's like, good luck. And she was not wrong. Yeah, so I've learned since then. Yeah, I've, alone. I've learned since then. I do my own, yeah. Um, but it, but it's, it's yeah, they were a really great set of role models. Um, and my uncles and aunts, too, they were always, you know, they would always spend time together and they would always go and spend time with the kids and then without the kids and so i think that uh those were really important factors for me growing up yeah i think it's it's very you could say it's it's a blessing and it's beneficial that you had that around you because i truly believe like when you grow up around that that's such a big um you know part of your upbringing and your values right this episode of the second floor podcast is brought to you by alberta blue cross even if you're a busy business owner with more meetings than hours in a day You are calm and collected when your group benefit plan is taken care of by Alberta Blue Cross. Your employees can manage their own health, dental, life and disability coverage online, anytime, on any device, making it easier for them and for you. To learn more and explore your options, visit ab.bluecross.ca. I want to bring this to Farah, perhaps our last topic today is, um, you know, when when certain let's say moments in life have happened previous to um let's say um you being in your partner's life and uh let's say it has to do with mental health and uh there's there's some trauma inducing um let's say events that have that happened to your significant other where they're clearly they're still working on it mm-hmm. right and those things they just don't go away um do you have any advice or do you have any um, you know, light you could share on the topic of how someone significant other can help um, someone go through that. Um, and and I find, you know, even just from personal experience with, um, you know, like my, in my life and, and with, with those that I've been with, including myself, there have unfortunately been um, just certain triggers that were completely out of our control um, that would happen. And, you know, one in particular to me where it was like my first moment of, uh, you could say just like PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, it was where I was just, um, you know, doing something in, in a room and, um, I ended up, you know, knocking, uh, the blinds down and, uh, you know, it was, it wasn't my house. It was, you know, I felt very bad about it, but immediately I, I was expecting a reaction that was not going to be the case. It was just based off what I've previously gone through. Mm-hmm. And um, I just realized that, okay, like this is this, you know, I was shaking. It was something I was really fearful of. And the way um, who this happened with handled it very nicely. But it was clearly like, it was clear that I had certain things I had to work on. And it was, it, I didn't even realize it. Like it was one of those things where it was, oh, that, like everything's healed from certain things I've gone through in the past. But that one incident of breaking the blinds by accident led to me having someone else, I feel, handle the situation uh, inappropriately. Like maybe like yelling or or maybe being like, oh, why'd you do that? Are you idiot? This or that. And it was through things I've experienced previous. And, you know, I just share that because this is something I've personally dealt with where, I almost wonder how I can in the future be able to 
um, know how to handle these situations, but also even with people I've been with where it's like, how can I ensure I'm careful of what I say or how can I be there? Especially in a time now where a lot a lot of us are open about anxiety, open about mental health. And I've actually, for for when I first started to have serious relationships, I didn't know how to handle it. Like I was, I was very evidently like, okay, this wasn't a word I use a lot in my household. This isn't a word that I thought I've even ever experienced up until, you know, getting into my twenties and really knowing what it is um, and experiencing it. But um, I just wanted to know from your experience, how maybe perhaps if both of you have gone through it, um, how you've helped one another out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think when you struggle with anxiety, it's easy to recognize it and not somebody else. Um, and you, I mean, feel free to share whatever you'd like to share, but, um, so now he'd lost his brother. Um, Faisal was, how old was he? Was in 2018. Yeah. Just recently. Um, he would have been 40 just a couple, just a, a year or two ago. Uh, I grew up, I mean, I grew up with Faisal. He was like my little brother, my little brother and, and him, um, grew up together. And so uh, when Faisal was diagnosed with uh, Ewing sarcoma, he was 29 years old. He was at the like prime of his life, like total bachelor, right? Like just living it up. Um, and so I think like my my um, my experience uh, through Nahid watching him, one, uh, deal with the diagnosis of his brother, two, he was literally the pillar of his family. So he was um, supporting his parents and supporting his brother um, and managing the business and, and running running the businesses. Uh, there, were, there were multiple balls he had up in the air and at any given time, one was always falling down. And so um, he kind of held it together until I would say even two years after Faisal passed because he was always the pillar. Like he had to be strong for everyone. Um, but how he coped with his grief, because when you, when you, um, watch a family member, um, be dealt a diagnosis, uh, and we knew Faisal lived with that diagnosis for almost 10 years. Um, and it was a palliative diagnosis. Uh, so that's really tough to know that this young man could die at any moment brings your life into perspective very quickly. It also helps you. Like you don't tolerate people's bullshit as like much as you would normally would. You just see life differently. Um, but Nahid was, I mean, that was my experience. His experience was very much um, kind of like catching, figuring out which ball was going to drop. He, you know, um, he tried to help his parents. Um, I mean, I, I don't wish upon anyone um, knowing that your child, like understanding your child's mortality is not somewhere a parent's brain should ever have to go. Like it's 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 unhuman to, to, to conceive that your, your child can and will die. Um, and knowing like that, that there's a time limit there. And so, so as a parent, that kind of drives you to do really, really horrible and, and amazing things. And so- as a son, the oldest son, holding that up, um, I would I would openly say both our parents, um, you know, not the type that would seek mental health mental health support or or acknowledge their mental health, um, and so that's also very difficult to to manage. And so how I started recognizing um, his signs very early 
But when you're trying to support a loved one who is grieving themselves, but also supporting the grief of others uh, is very complex. And so we, again, as a, as a family who's always been a very open and, and vocal supporter uh, of normalizing and, and prioritizing our mental health, um, you know, he would always tell me, I'm good, like I'm good. Um, you know, like I, I work out, I'm good. Like I sleep well, I'm good. But I, st- I started recognizing, um, you know, signs of anxiety in him probably st- faster than you did, I would think. Because when you struggle with anxiety, you can recognize it in somebody else. And it wasn't until um, I took the first couple of steps um, last summer um, and, and I needed to see a therapist. Um, and and I we were very open about it in our house. And I just kept kind of putting it out there, right? And when when you are struggling, you you can't have someone sweep in and rescue you. You have to you have to also want to seek support, right? And so I just kept saying, you know, like I really think you need to see a therapist. And and it's really hard to say that um, because you somehow feel like you have like you should be able to help him and solve these problems. But there's so much to unpack, uh, and I'm not a trained psychologist. Um, and there are certain things he probably could and should talk to a therapist that, you know, maybe are not, um, that I might not be able to handle mm-hmm. or support. And I really appreciate you sharing that because, you know, not to cut you off far out, but I once have been uh, asked that, I've sorry, been told that too. And I actually, the way I handled that was, oh, I could just tell you things. Yeah. But I don't think that's fair yeah. on both ends because there's yeah. lots to unpack. And then for you, it's like, wait, but like, yeah. I can't professionally help you cope through a yeah. lot of this. And, and I know the, the, some of the baggage that I was unpacking um, as a result of my anxiety with my therapist, it's just so deep, right? And I was experiencing um, some breakthroughs uh, and I just knew that if if only he could experience this himself. So, you know, I think he also reached a point where um, he started to see changes in me. Um, and when, as you know, uh, or as people know out there who you can recognize someone who's working on themselves, Right. And when someone's working on themselves, um, it's really hard to be around people who, who aren't working on themselves or who have unresolved, uh, you know, grief or trauma. Um, and, you know, as you start to create and put up some boundaries um, when you're working on yourself, um, it's hard for other people to understand or recognize these are boundaries, especially in the South Asian community. And so um, he was really open. He was he finally agreed to it um, probably in the fall, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and started to see his own therapist. Um, and part of that actually, so we are involved in this pilot called Couplehood. So the creators of Soul Cycle, uh, they sold to Equinox and and kind of um, went on to other business ventures. And these women are brilliant and you know they did we work and they did some other incredible ventures but all along they had been working on this this and it, it's so i'm going to try really hard to articulate what it is because it's not therapy but it is they call it relational fitness you would actually love it um yeah and so we had been attending this pilot program um couplehood since uh the fall and so it was through couplehood 
where Nahid got a little bit more open. He became a little bit more vulnerable, which is together, together, together in a safe space um, with other couples. And I'll explain how it works. Um, And he just started to have these like kind of awakenings. Right. And he's always been a very sensitive, um, calm, um, rational, level-headed thinker. Um, But when you're dealing with your own grief and anxiety, you know, those, those, um, those qualities sometimes can't help you. And so couplehood is this space where it's, it's all on a digital platform. You, you log in for 50 minutes and it's with people you've never met before from all corners of the world. It's 50 minutes and, um, you do like a, like a meditative type breathing and again, as a very high strung, high energy person, that to me in a digital space, him and I were sitting like this and we're on this digital platform and the guide kind of takes you through this meditative breathing. And I'm like, this is weird. Um, but it's only like two or three minutes. And it's just kind of like, yeah. like centers you, right? Soul, yeah. And we are usually flying from <laughs> dinner. The kids are on the other side of the office, but it just gives you a moment to kind of check in and be like, okay, I'm, I'm here now. And then we can feel each other's energy. And then then um, the guide kind of shares like a topic. So she'll talk about struggle or she'll talk about um, hope or she'll talk about these different accomplishments. topics, accomplishments or money or money. And she kind of leads through these leads you through these questions. Um, and what you do is you go into a breakout room and you talk about this this question with your spouse, right? This prompt. And you get four minutes to talk and they get four minutes to talk. And then you come back to the main space and you kind of share. Um, you don't share what you talked about, but you kind of share uh, big ideas or, or things you learned about your partner or things you learned about yourself. Um, and he he really. Um, it, it was an awakening. It, I mean, it really was. Yeah. It was like aha moments every single week. And so that started in like September, October. Yeah. And in November, I started going to therapy because therapist. that awakening, I could see myself just understanding things differently. And it was like um, my eyes were closed and all of a sudden they were starting to shift open. Well, talk about why. Like talk about the type of listening that you do yes. when you're engaged in higher listening so you're yeah so we've got i mean there's a there's a term that we use called higher listening and it's an act in in the space yeah yeah. and so so they ask this question this first question and they break you out into so it's just far and i we turn our camera off and we turn our microphone off Mm -hmm. and we just face each other Mm -hmm. and we answer the question for four minutes each so they time it and i talk for four minutes and the objective there is not to, because you always want to like, you're listening to actually respond. That's what most people do. And it teaches you, and it was really hard at first. First, it was hard to fill the four minutes and just keep, you know, to keep this going. And you, you just, even if it's silence, it's silence. It's four minutes. And so you start to draw out these things and you as the listener are now putting yourself in the position of the person that's sharing. So it's developing empathy, right? You're, you're really truly listening to try to get into his world, try and feel what he's feeling. So if there were, the, if the topic was struggle, 
you know, in, you know, how do you experience struggle or something, you know, as partners, right? We're, we're always trying to solve each other's problems. We're always trying to jump in and save. We're trying to like figure it out. I was about to say that. It's like, oh, I know what you're saying already. Let me, let me just. Yeah. So you stop listening, right? You stop listening. And it's hard when you're an educator, when you're a teacher, or when you're a man, a fixer, a problem solver, a protector. So it was really hard when he's talking about struggle. Um, I, I just had to listen. Or if I'm talking about struggle, he just has to listen. And you can't interrupt. You can't, um, you can't give advice. You're listening to listen and understand. You're not even going to, like, I'm not going to talk to him, uh, about what he said. I'm going to talk to him about how I experience struggle. And so it's like these, again, these separate conversations together, right? And so he started listening to people differently. I started listening to people differently. And I sometimes I'd have to sit like this, literally cover my mouth to not, and, and it's, a, it's a physical reminder to stay present what I do. <laughs> yeah. And in this digital world with 80 tabs open and on Instagram and Twitter and like we're our, our like, you know, we grew up with this hustle culture where you like it, you pride yourself on having 80 million projects on the go. And this has taught us to really focus on one thing and do it really well. And so when he started listening differently and I started listening differently to him, um, it just changes your whole perspective. And, and it's actually, you find yourself doing it all the time. You go anywhere and even the lady at the grocery store or the, the person at Starbucks, like you're just, you're literally listening and we have lost our ability to communicate specifically listening. And people are weird right now. People there's a lot of social anxiety. Just so weird. Yeah. You know, like we're yeah. awkward with each other. And there's this other um, version of it called peoplehood where you can go by yourself, right? And you don't have to go with a partner. You Like you could go. In fact, I'll, I'll send you the link and you can sign up. Yeah, they're, they're still running the pilot. You can go to peoplehood.com and you can sign up for their pilot. Um, you don't have to be in a couple. And you go in, you log in with like, and it's not more than like maybe eight people or maybe five or six couples if you go with a partner. But it, again, it's not therapy, but it made him open to the experience of sharing. And it almost kind of like cracked the shell and then everything just started to seep out. And then he was like, I think we were on a walk afterwards. And you're like, I think I'm ready to see a therapist. And I was like, what? Really? And those like, those yeah. are the two things, right? It was, yeah. it was couplehood and it was actually our walks yeah. that were the two things that really led us. So when the two of us were doing that together during COVID, it we were communicating on a different way yeah. it was you know we we're in nature we were next to each other we weren't just facing each other at dinner or like worrying about what we're going to eat or order or, i mean we just walk and we talk and it it did something magical for our relationship and then and then couplehood took it to another level and i i you know i'll, I'll rewind to what i said is our objective is to become better people with our families so that that's the objective of each one of us within our family dynamic is to make each other better and couplehood totally did that. I started to see, so Farah was in therapy. So I'm seeing the changes in Farah. Within the yeah. And like, and then through couplehood. So this is like times two, right? 
and I'm watching this and it's like, I think you were, because it was the second or third, it was the third couplehood where she looked at me. She's like, I can't believe you shared as much as you shared during the, sh the share. Cause I'm generally pretty quiet. Like I just listen and I'll say a few words, but I was like, yeah, I was out there and, and saying things that were surprising her or not surprising her, but sharing things that we would have shared together. Um, it also, the topics bring up things that are really, um, sometimes they're easy to talk about. They make you feel good, but sometimes they're really there. You're digging deep to have a conversation that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they're uncomfortable conversations, but it's only and four minutes. It's only four minutes. It's, it's fascinating. It's like a hit workout for your relationship. Yes. That's exactly what they've. That's they, such a good way of looking at it. Yeah, and it's, it's like, it. or a hit workout for your own personal development, right? It could again, it could just be like my our daughter, oldest daughter goes. Uh, she was really experiencing a lot of isolation as a you know she graduated graduated in in COVID. She didn't get any kind of ceremony. She did her first year online, super socially isolated, and she's a she's like her dad, super social, extroverted. Uh, so I said, you know what, Maya, I think you should, I should think you should try peoplehood. Right. And at first she was like, okay, mom, like, thanks. Like find me a friend. Okay, mom, I'll join yeah. Cult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like but you know what? She, she did it and she, she gets up at 7am on two, like what 20 year old wants to willingly get up at 20am or, or 2 a or 7am, um, to, to join this group of people. Uh, and, and some people you'll never see again. Uh, and some people are regulars, right? And you're learning about yourself through listening to someone else's experience. And I'm learning about myself through listening to his experience, or he's learning about himself through listening to my experience. So back to your original question, how do you help someone mm. who isn't in, in a place to help themselves? Is you, you gotta almost, you know, create opportunities and, and just persistence and time um, and they, they have to want to do it, That's right? Yeah. And, and, and couplehood and peoplehood really kind of set the stage. Again, it's not therapy, but it helped him. It was like the, the cup, the pre-steps, like the, the, the uh, preparation that he needed, um, before he could, um, you know, take the next step. And, and going to therapy, um, for some people, it's just like, it's like a necessity of life, mm -hmm. but coming from a culture, where, where um, seeking mental health help and support is like, well, what's wrong, exactly. right? Instead of like, well, what's wrong with you? Instead of, yeah, yeah. Instead of like, listen, man, I, I work out so I can age backwards. I eat well so I can feel good. Um, so I'm doing all these proactive things for myself. If I go to the doctor, I go, um, you know, we go for checkups. Um, when, you know, your physicals are really important. We don't only go to the doctor when we're sick, but our, you know, culturally, you go to therapy when you're like broken or when it's like past the point of, you know, you, you getting help. So for us going to, to, and we don't go to couples therapy, we go, we go on our own to work on ourselves. Um, and so this, this couplehood, peoplehood pilot project that we've been so fortunate to be um, a part of really set the stage for him it elevated the the self-work I was already doing. And um, I find myself, again, like I'm so able to take this into like so many different aspects of my personal and professional relationships. It's, it's insane, it's insane. 
Oh, there's so much I want to say about what both of you just mentioned. This is beautiful. First and foremost, thank you for being vulnerable enough to share, you know, just, just such a personal, you know, tragedy and how that in a, in a way led to, um, just, just recognizing the, the importance of, of needing to focus on, on your mental health mm-hmm. and, and doing that together. And, uh, you know, on a personal note, I'll, I'll, I'll come up front and share this where like I was almost in this pre contemplation stage of personally being in therapy myself for five months. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, I bet I, I can guarantee you I would have benefited it from it four years prior. And I'm sure decisions I would have made and would have done, uh, would have led to, you know, however else my life could have looked, but you know, no regrets. But, um, as a South Asian male in his mid twenties mm-hmm. who, hasn't necessarily had anything in my life happened so traumatic to the point where it would have been recommended to have therapy, I felt like I could solve all my own issues, right? And I'm sure I perhaps speak um, on behalf of many people out there, but you, you made such a good point with how both of you came to terms with recognizing the benefits of therapy is I truthfully believe that there's solutions I've thought I've worked out in my head that have become a lot more clear when I've verbalized it. And I'm verbalizing it in front of someone who studies the brain professionally, but is listening non-judgmentally. And I feel like that was Nahid's first taste of what that was like through that exercise both of you have done in the couplehood. Where it's like, wow, like I'm sharing all this to my wife in four minutes. I've got so much time, right? Like I got so much ability to be able to keep sharing. And I could, I could, I could fill the room with silence. And to be honest, in my previous relationship, I felt like, okay, like here's someone who finally is listening to me, giving me that time. But that came with, again, there was just certain things that were unresolved still. So my ego got in the way. I was like, oh, I'll figure it out. And then, you know, to, to her respect, she's like, well, you know, here are the benefits of therapy. Here's I'm like, you know, do it if you need to, but it's for yourself. But you, you'll see the benefits. And then, you know, it actually very unfortunately took, you know, us actually no longer being together for me to realize, actually, you know what? Let's take a stab at this. Like, this, this could help. And I've caught myself where... I would tell my therapist or about to tell my therapist a fabricated version of a story of who I am or how things have happened in my life. And then I would, I'd be like, sorry, let me rephrase that. And it's because all my life, there's a couple of things I've unfolded where I'd be too used to telling someone what they wanted to hear. And the second piece of it would be, I just would want to look a certain way. So then there was like, let's call it demons, or there was just things that were going on in my head or decisions I've made that were just to please others. And then now this is kind of like the episode I'm currently in with my therapist where we're, we're finding solutions for that. You know, I, th- I feel like Nahid said earlier, where we're digging deeper into certain concepts of who we are that, that, that make us who we are today. And we either choose to be that way or we, we can find solutions to go the other route. And I find it beautiful that both of you are willing to share that. And, you know, I'm six sessions into therapy, but to be honest, I find it should be there as a constant, just like the doctor visits, just like going to the gym and getting my reps in. And lately I've been thinking of how much energy and emphasis I put in towards my physical health. Why am I not doing that for the brain? And how is it fair to put that onto somebody that you're with when they may not be able to, like, other than just being a set of ears, they may not know how to solve it, Right. So I just find it very beautiful that both of you do that for one another and you do it in a setting where it's with other couples as well. Well, it took time, I think. I think everybody, once you start therapy, it's like, why didn't I do this sooner, right? And I think 
Um, and, and again, it, I think a lot of stigma, uh, it's up to our, I think you have, we have a responsibility, like we, the collective, we have responsibility to normalize mm-hmm. um, mental health uh, support, but also like we also have to use our privilege. And here's my anti-oppressive educator coming out to um, make uh, mental health access um, kind of a, a universal human right. Uh, there are so many people who who require mental health support and don't get it because they can't afford it. And I think that's like, we live in Canada, you know, we, we, we have, you know, healthcare that's accessible or should be accessible to all. I would argue that it's, it's not accessible to all, uh, or is the standard of the quality, um, the same for all. Uh, and, and that should be as, as like settler Canadians, that, sh- that should be our, our, our basic, uh, platform, you know, when we're, when we're voting or when we are, when we are standing up or like citing what we're, what we believe in, um, access to healthcare, which includes mental health care, should be a universal human right. And we're so fortunate and we're so aware of our privilege to be able to literally look through the phone book or scroll, um, on social media or, or the internet to find someone who's a good fit. And there are people who can't even like who don't won't even be able to afford to do that. And there's not enough um, mental health uh, supports out there that operate on sliding scales. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think as 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 Canadians, um, that's our that's our basic responsibility is to to make sure that everybody has access to that because we have. I mean, it saves lives, right? It saves lives and it's so important. So I think the 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 first thing we can do is um, work within our communities and work within mm-hmm. our families. Um, to, to normalize it and, and make it look like this, this is proactive. This is part of what it means to take care of yourself, yes. not, and, and, and fix this, um, false understanding that like you need it when things are really bad or, you know, for the quote unquote, um, you know, unstable or everybody's unstable right now. Everybody yeah. is in some sort of crisis or we have all collectively as humans experienced trauma through COVID Mm -hmm. social isolation, people have, have died and not, uh, you know, not been able to, uh, family members can't come to their funerals. And like, we have all experienced some kind of trauma, right? This should be a shift in our, our, our government policy. And I'm kind of getting on my, my soapbox here, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) absolutely normalize mental health. I think it's so important. And when you see it in your partner, um, baby steps to get them. There. Yeah. And I, I love that because it's not like do this or else. It's just like, Hey, this is, this is good for you, yeah. you know, and give it a try. And then they, again, funny enough, how we spoke about it earlier with kids where actions speak louder than words is, you know, when Nahid is seeing that the changes you're making through the taking action on therapy that speaks for itself. You know, so, um, you know, as we close out, I want to uh, go over kind of like a like quick fire things that maybe back and forth both of you can say on uh, advice to those listening uh, on how to, uh, we'll do kind of a few how-tos. We can do like up to three. Um, no matter how long you've been with your partner for, how to still charm them. <laughs> Do you want to speak from my perspective or from yeah, I want to tell a total of three? And then do you want me to tell you what I think works from him or? Oh, I like that. That's a good spin. See, how do you like? You got to be specific. Yeah, like I'd say. See, Farah, see, it was challenging. Right? I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Always pushing. Yeah. Okay, specific. I'll speak. I'll speak about what I need. Okay. Done. Okay. Um. I mean, like, look at him. Like, 
<laughs> right? Like for sure. Still put in the effort to look yeah, good. Yeah, he's gotta be a little bit of arm candy for sure. Um, we have this connection with our eyes. Like, so I think- You're like taking my answers. You, can't, you knew I was gonna say that. Eyes. I mean, you I mean, said that a couple of last time. Oh, I love that. Like, You're not supposed to talk about something like that. Two out of three already, yeah. right? All right. The last one I think is just like little things, right? Like noticing little things or remembering details, I think is, is a good one for me, mm. remembering details. Remembering details. Yeah, see, Farah wants Beat to that. know right now. <laughs> you know what? It's uh, <clears throat> it's time and energy and effort. So, but that's I, one. You that's stop. One. No, no, no. That's it is one. It is okay, one. It's three one. wrapped into okay, one. Okay. That's how, that's how amazing this right. answer is. Um, so like I'll I'll come home and Farah is reading me instantly. Like what? So she'll come up and she'll just hug me if she knows I need a hug. Or if she knows I need an ear, she'll give that to me. She does a lot of amazing things. She'll set up date nights. And I'm I'm not great at that. <laughs> um, I need to get better at that. Yeah, but go. she's really good at doing that. And she makes every event special in, in a certain way. So she'll always do things that, um, that make our time together special. So... Uh, it was the Botanical Gardens. She, you know, she arranged a dinner at the Botanical Gardens. And, and we had the most amazing dinner. That's not something I would have ever thought about. Uh, the walks that we take, the walks weren't my idea. They were her idea. And it took our relationship to another level. And so she's able to do these things that are just, they seem like they're such small things, like a walk. But it was so massive for our relationship and our growth that it, it was exponential. Now mine feel That's really beautiful. superficial. They were all related oh, to your so looks. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> your looks have been, I mean, that is, it was infatuation, yeah, right? That this is what drew me to you. All right. This is the balance, right? Yeah. I love that. Um, She's my own personal fitness instructor. Okay. Okay. Like, all right. Really, all right. If you want to talk about that, I mean. <laughs> Our kids are going to listen to this, so we'll stop right now. <laughs> yeah, that's the best. Um, other than that, I'd like to, um, you know, leave the floor open to both of you. If you feel like there's anything else you'd like to share before we close out, um, anything on the topic of relationships, any advice you want to give to those listening, you know, after they listen to this, including myself, we can't help but want to be just more like both of you, right? Uh, even after already feeling that way in the beginning, but is there any advice you want to share with anyone who is about to start living their lives together or, in another light or trying so hard to make something work on both ends, but it just seems like it's not working. Like just on the topic of, of, of letting, letting love be love and, and, and continuing forth on focusing on one another, you know, and, and, and not letting that spark die out. Um, what, is there any last piece of advice you want to share on that? And growth in a relationship is not easy. It's not this big storybook, uh, fairy tale. It's, you've got to work at it and we work at it. We talk to each other. We have unpleasant conversations, even before peoplehood and couplehood. And we have uncomfortable conversations and we're real with each other. And, you know, if you go back to the question you asked about therapy and recognizing that it was hard for Far to talk to me about that in the beginning, mm -hmm. but she started to see the cracks in um, what I was becoming by letting the grief take me over. And it's a hard conversation to have. And so there's going to be hard conversations to have. And, but you have to build that trust in each other and have that love for each other. And it takes time. Mm -hmm. And all relationships take time. 
And so sometimes I think the unfortunate thing is people just expect it's all magic, right? There's, yes, there's that attraction to each other, but you have to grow everything else. Everything else has to grow and these roots need to get watered. And we've been watering roots for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so it's, things take time mm -hmm. and they become better and they flourish. From a woman's perspective, I think it's so important um, to know who you are as a person first and to love yourself first. Um, and that was hard to do when, you know, you marry your, you know, your best friend and you're kind of growing together. I really had to, um, and, and, and I'm lucky that my children and children are not for everyone nor there should be, but I'm lucky that my girls in, in their own separate ways were mirrors to my own insecurities. Right. And, and, and how I talked to myself inside and some of the perfectionistic qualities I had. Um, and so you have to love yourself. Uh, your partner can't fill the void, um, for you. And I think so many times when romantic relationships fail, it's because, um, you're looking for your partner to fill some hole that you have, a void that you have that you should be able to fill yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, you got, you got to love yourself. You got to, you got to, um, respect yourself first before you can, um, show that partner how to respect you. And then secondly, um, you might not always know what you want, but it's also not up to your partner to kind of tell you what you want. And so that growing together, but separately or growing separately, but together kind of like, um, branches on a tree, they all come from the tree. Right. And so I think it's important when you have that foundation and let me tell you, our foundation was not always solid, right? Like it, 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 like you said, it took time. It took respect, uh, a mutual understanding and mutual understanding doesn't have to be, we're on the same page all the time, but at the end of the day, um, you know, concessions will have to be made. I wouldn't call them sacrifices. I think, um, you know, the reciprocity, the give and take is so important. And I see, um, the younger generation and, and, and sometimes in my own children, like it's binary thinking, it's all or nothing, both. And you can have both. And, and so I think for us, uh, this idea of both and was, was so important. We were, both very, um, you know, traditional. We were very culturally connected to our family. We're both loving children to our parents, but we're also, and we are also, um, a tight family nuclear unit that we knew, um, there are going to be some things that we're going to have to, you know, work on. And so both and, and you have to love and respect yourself. You can't, you can't get your partner to do that for you. Wow. That is such great advice on both ends. Thank you, both of you, for sharing that. And, you know, for those of you who are listening to this, I hope you can get a taste of what the energy feels like in this room. And, you know, both of you have, you know, taken a lot of time and energy into being here, and I really appreciate it. Um, I want to ask, is this the first time both of you have publicly been, like, on air together other than couplehood? Um, I think we did another mm -hmm. podcast. Yeah. Nice. Um, we did another. It's called The Lifestyle Chase with a cool. friend of mine. Yeah, there you um, go. But it wasn't necessarily on relationship, I think. Yeah. Was it? Or it was just kind of, he just asked us some. Were, yeah, there were general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Some really awesome questions that also made us think. You podcasters know <laughs> the best questions to ask. In fact, he was, 
he he sent us the questions in advance and we, right. we couldn't sleep for like three or four nights so yeah 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 no it's yeah it's better christian little's lifestyle chase is another awesome yeah, podcast definitely we're checking out christian had me on to talk about uh you know the farmers protesting in india when we were running for them so really great guy definitely check out his show um, but that just goes to show both of you please do not let this stop i find millions of people in the world are going to benefit from both of your stories uh, we're not quite at the millions yet but, uh, well you might be because we told we told the folks over at couplehood and peoplehood to yeah so you might have some some yes, new followers that and, would be uh, super cool yeah and you know just speaking of followers is i hope both of you recognize that like everything we see online and everything we saw here is both of your guys authenticity just as like people as individuals individuals and as a couple it just it shines through you know and it's been a huge pleasure having both of you on it seriously has made me consider continuing having these conversations with inspiring couples out there that like genuinely are working together at life and i'm such a sucker for that you know being the 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 aspiring bollywood actor i've always wanted to be to you know fall in love and beat that person with love at first sight but it's so cool to see that both of you had that and despite all of the trials and tribulations and hardships of life both of you are still smiling ear to ear when you say each other's name so it's beautiful to see anytime where can uh, we get our listeners to follow your journey and uh, to just continuously connect with both of you awesome. um, i'm on instagram and twitter dr farah 077 although my account is private so if you look like a creeper or <laughs> if you have no followers both accounts are private yeah actually, so, so we keep it I, w- I won't accept your <laughs> your request, but you better write a cover letter with a photo <laughs> and a video attachment to Listen, it. Listen, right? I've I've, ha- I've had some crazy folks, so it's it's not a joke when you're a South Asian woman who talks about anti racism and how everybody's fair. racist. It's not a good it's not a good not a good connection. Yeah, that's but fair. yeah, no, I'm on on Twitter and Instagram. There you go. Yeah, good stuff. And how about for you? Ladies? Same thing, just on Instagram, not on Twitter. Um, what, is, what is your handle? NNS zero zero seven five. And uh, also, this episode is uh, unofficially sponsored by Brown Social House. So, uh, <laughs> and California those... Pizza Kitchen. Yeah, yes, and California Pizza yeah. Kitchen. What is that opening up? Uh, we're looking at the end of July, beginning of August. Nice. I'm coming up real It's going to be awesome. I do have to show this with you on air, of course, is hands down. I'm not just saying this to toot your horn. My favorite patio to go to is... Brown Social House Windermere is the indoor esque patio with the with the beautiful uh, fire that, that that's on there and then the couches every time even if it's just me and one person I walk in and I'm like can me and my take buddy the just whole couch take the whole I couch. love it I love it. that was the purpose of the couch yeah. it's just to hang back yeah. and chill out I just melt that's awesome I'm so happy to hear that thank you <laughs> no anytime Nahid I appreciate both of you you're both welcome anytime and. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Thank you, guys.